Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life. Uh, brothers, I actually think we can get back in the studio next week. Did you guys see that uh, email from KBXL? I did not, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, we actually get to be in the same room again, and uh, we will expect donuts. So, KBXL, if you're listening, big box of donuts for the Gospel Life crew. <laughs> I do want you guys to know that I've already had my donut this morning, and I would have shared it with you. But, of course, we're separated, and uh, just so the listeners know, we're meeting over Zoom. Uh, but I just want you guys to know how much I enjoyed that donut, and, and I would have shared if we were together. Yeah, no doubt. I just want, uh, I'm glad you guys are dressed. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are dressed. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that report on ABC News, the guys who came on the anchor and he he had like a a suit top, but he he was wearing shorts and he was caught on camera. So (laughs) I'm I'm glad to see that you guys are fully clothed as we are um, doing our recording today. So um, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm just excited to hopefully begin worship again soon, waiting the governor's official announcement, hopefully, that we're in phase one and we can gather again as God's people. So looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Phil? Yeah, um, well, the, the same. Uh, we're, um, I think I mentioned in one of our previous shows that one of the one of the great gifts and really sweet gifts to come through this time is um, a, a, what I what I would even what I would call a supernatural sense of unity in our church, even though we'd be separated. Uh, that uh, God is working, uh, doing a work of unity, yeah. but it, it it certainly doesn't replace physically being together. So we are really looking forward to that day. And and of course it'll be under guidelines and we'll be doing distancing six feet apart. And uh, we may have to do multiple services to get everybody in. Uh, but we're just going to, we're going to make it work. Yeah. I'm just glad you guys are so much more sanctified than I am. I'm hoping some of that like bleeds through my screen because I have just been frustrated. Um, not at anybody in particular, just frustrated that we can't be together. And I really miss the body so much. Yeah. So I am chomping at the bit to get back together. So last time we were together, we started going through the book of Psalms. And if our listeners are just tuning in, and they didn't catch that series. Uh, we're going to continue it today. And in terms of an overview of the book, there's actually five sections or five books uh, that separate up the book of Psalms. Uh, the first book is uh, runs through chapters 1 through 41. The second book is 42 through 72. Uh, book 3 is uh, Psalms 73 through 89. And 
Book four is Psalm 90 through 106, and the last one is 107 to the end. And there's kind of at least slightly different themes that carry each one of those books. Last time we mentioned that Robert Godfrey, who's going to be our speaker at our Reformation Boise Conference coming up in November, November 13th and 14th, he wrote a book called Learning to Love the Psalms. If you are unaware of the theology of the Psalms or how they work together as a whole, we would we would very much recommend this book to you, uh, Learning to Love the Psalms by Robert Godfrey. Of course, we're going to have it. Didn't you, Russ, didn't you say you have that? You bought some of these for the conference? I did. I got some a good deal on the book, so I've got a good handful in my office and some boxes. So looking forward to getting those into the hands of people. So hopefully you'll buy it before then, but it, if you can wait to the conference, Russ, Pastor Russ will have those with him. So. Um, we didn't get very far last time. <laughs> I think our plan was to try to do an over, overview of the whole Psalms, and I think we got to Psalm 23. So. I think we nailed it. <laughs> so I think we're just going to pick up uh, today at that same pace in Psalm 24. So one of you brothers, you guys want to read that for us? Phil, you want to read that for us? Sure. Um, tell you what, I'll read the, I'll read the first six verses. No, I'll read the first five verses. And then when you guys pick up from there, this is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. All right. So last time or the other, there, we did see a bit of a connection between Psalm 22 and, and Psalm 23. Is there a connection between Psalm 23 and Psalm 24? I, I'm not sure I would say yes to that. I, I don't know if people know, but the Psalms sometimes have um, headings underneath of them. This one has just a Psalm of, of David, but there are other Psalms that can uh, contain a historical note, giving you the moment um, in which it was written. Um, Psalm 24 doesn't. Um, but if I was trying to guess when David wrote this, I, I would say that David wrote this um, in second Samuel chapter six, when he's bringing the ark um, to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah, Psalm, Psalm 23 is is this you know pastoral scene of you know the the green pastures and the still waters and um 
now all of a sudden is it's in Psalm 24. I, and I think you're right, Russ, that if, if it, and we're, and this is a bit of speculation, but it, it seems to be connected uh, with some kind of an event in Jerusalem and the and entry into Jerusalem. And uh, there's a strong suggestion of you know, bringing the ark, the celebration surrounding bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And the reason why I would say that is it's about God's presence was, was associated with the ark. Um, and so this is why historically Psalm 24 became an ascension psalm um, celebrating the ascension. The true fulfillment of Psalm 24 is not the ark coming into Jerusalem, um, but the, the true king um, coming into the, the true sanctuary of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, that the king of glory was entering into the heavens. You know, I, rem- I remember my first impression uh, with the psalm. I was in a park and, and uh, a brother had prayed uh, verse one out loud. You know, the earth is yours, O Lord, and the fullness thereof and the world and all those who dwell therein. That left such a deep impression on my heart. The power of, of praying scripture. Uh, and especially the Psalms, um, the, I, I remember it every time I read Psalm 24, I remember that prayer. Uh-huh. Um, I think this is an interesting Psalm because it asks this hanging question in verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? I mean, that's essentially the the the, the question of crisis that's facing all of humanity, right? I mean, how shall... How shall man stand before a holy God? Yeah, and that is that's one of the central questions of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, how, how do how can sinful people approach a holy God? Uh, that maybe in, in terms of in terms of our relationship with God, that may be the central question of the Bible. Yes, and of course, and of course, the gospel is the answer. Right, because you start reading it. And so he, he, he gave, it's kind of a catechism in, in the middle of the Psalm, right? Who can do this? And then he answers, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, uh, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And if you're honest in your heart, you realize, well, that means I'll never stand right. in God's holy place on my own. Right. That's not me. Yeah. It forces you to someone else. So verse four, um, not to get technical, is parallelism in Hebrew poetry. The, the the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse are saying the same thing, just using different words. So right. clean hands and a pure heart, well, what does that mean? They don't lift up their soul to what is false, and they don't swear deceitfully. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that naturally is, is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, Jesus Christ and all those that are united to him. Mm -hmm. And so the great truth of Psalm 24 is that we can come into the presence of God because of whom we come with. Mm -hmm. Um, It's as if we're ushered into the heavens um, with Jesus Christ as he ascends, we also um, will ascend and, and appear before God. That's right. You know, I was talking to uh, a person the other day. I was doing some marriage counseling with them, and I, I was trying to 
get them to to forgive their spouse because they had unforgiveness against them. And I was using kind of this tactic in Psalm 24 to point out their own sin that that because God has forgiven them, um, that they also should forgive. And and I asked them a question, well, have you, because they were saying, well, you don't understand. My spouse has lied to me. And, and I said, well, have you ever lied before? And this person's first answer was, well, no. <laughs> and, I, and I started walking through the law with them. And, and then they realized, oh, yeah, I guess I have lied. And, and this is one of those questions here in, in the middle of Psalm 24 that really gets to the conscience and to the heart of the individual. And I, I think that's so important. And, and if, if you're reading, so let me just say, listener, if you're reading the Bible in such a way where you think it's a mirror and, and you're looking at your own righteousness and your own good works, you're reading the Bible wrong. I mean, these questions are meant to, to expose the deceit of your heart and to drive you to the Savior. It's why these Psalms are so messianic. They're so encouraging that the Bible knows exactly who we are. And it drives us to the only one who has had a clean hand and a pure heart. I think it's important to just note that oftentimes we read the Psalms and almost exclusively say that they're about us. Um, I think Jesus in Luke 24 helps us by by redirecting us and saying, well, I actually think you're supposed to read the Psalms and say they're primarily about Jesus Christ. That's right. In Luke 24, verse 45, he says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I think... Spurgeon is a great help here because he can't read a psalm without directing the reader to, to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how we should read them as well. Yeah. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Gospel for Life. We are continuing to trek through the psalms. We hope that uh, this has been encouraging and edifying to you, and we will continue this next time. 